Ulysses Griffith was a staple in the Van Meter community. He was a member of the local chapters of both the Masonic Lodge and the Modern Woodmen. He was considered by his peers to be good-hearted and thoughtful, as well as a savvy businessman. In fact, together, he and his brother were among the most successful business owners in town, having purchased a tool-dealing business in 1901 that then grew to be quite successful. The two owners of Griffith Brothers Implement were well-respected and highly regarded, and Ulysses was a man who, when speaking, was listened to. So, when in the wee morning hours of September 29th, 1903, he encountered something both terrifying and baffling, it was destined to become a major development for the people of Van Meter. Much of Ulysses Griffith's business dealings required his traveling to customers' home throughout Van Meter and beyond, hoping to peddle his wares. And on the day in question, business had taken Ulysses quite a ways away from Van Meter, resulting in a very late, or early, depending on how you want to look at it, return to town, at around 1 o'clock in the morning. It was a cool but comfortable evening as Ulysses made his way down the lonely streets of Van Meter, quietly eager for the comfort of a good night's sleep after what had been a rather long day. As he approached his home, taking the same route as he had so many other times in the early morning hours, he saw something that he had never seen before. A light. A single, solitary light, some ways down the street, perched atop a nearby building, looming through the darkness. Now, Ulysses knew the streets of Van Meter like the back of his hand. This light was out of place. It shouldn't have been there. His first thought was that it might be burglars, sneaking into the Mather and Greg building under the cover of darkness. So he pressed on with caution, intending to put a stop to the would-be robbery. But before he could confront them, his initial theory was disproved. As Ulysses drew closer to the mysterious light, it swiftly glided over the street and reappeared on the roof of another building. Ulysses parked his car, staring up at the light as it loomed down at him, taunting him. For a handful of moments, neither party moved. Ulysses watched the light in disbelief, unable to fathom what could possibly be causing this strange anomaly. And then, the light once again leapt into the air, this time zooming through the darkness away from town and it disappeared into the night. After taking a moment to gather himself, the perplexed tool salesman finally made his way home for an uneasy night of sleep. This is Simply Strange, the podcast where anything spooky, weird, and goosebump-inducing is fair game. Hello there, everyone. Happy Halloween. I am PJ, and you are listening to episode 28 of Simply Strange. Thank you, as always, for stopping by. This is a little bit of a special one, I guess. We here at Simply Strange LLC like to think that the show has a little bit of a connection with Halloween, more so than any other holiday, anyway. So, in honor of all the scary monsters out there, I will be covering one of them for this month's episode. 
This is the story of the Van Meter Visitor. Just a handful of miles west of Des Moines, Iowa, lies a tiny town of about 1,000 people, called Van Meter. In 1845, a pair of pioneer brothers made their way to a fertile spot along the banks of the Raccoon River, and, excited by the potential shown by the land around them, they built a small cabin. Over the years that followed, many others would follow suit, and before long, a full-fledged community had developed. In 1868, this budding community received a stop on the Chicago, Rock Island, and Pacific Railroad, further increasing its rate of growth. And then, a year later, the town was laid out, and eventually named Van Meter, in honor of an early pioneer of the area, J.R. Van Meter. In 1878, a 257-foot-deep coal mine was constructed, sending even more new residents flooding into Van Meter, and by the early 1900s, there were nearly a thousand people living in the thriving town. In 1902, the growth of the emerging town took a big hit. In an effort to earn higher wages and better conditions, the workers at the Van Meter mine went on strike, slowing the mine's operations to a halt. The owners of the mine were unable to find alternative workers to replace the ones on strike, and it would seem that the workers had won. But instead, the owners did the unexpected and they shuttered the mine completely. Now, while this did seriously hamper Van Meter's growth, it didn't totally cripple the budding town. Van Meter would persevere, and its now-defunct mine would not go away quietly either. In fact, in the years that followed, it would instead become an integral part in a bizarre series of events that would come to be some of the defining moments in the history of the little town of Van Meter. News of Ulysses Griffith's encounter spread rapidly throughout Van Meter, and the next morning the streets were buzzing with retellings of the disembodied spotlight leaping from building to building in the dead of night. With the story coming from someone as well-respected as the tools salesman, it was taken quite seriously. But being such an unusual event, people weren't quite sure how to react. They were intrigued, and confused even, but in the absence of any further details, there is not much that could be done except to carry on as usual. However, this would soon change, because the very next evening, the mysterious light would show itself for a second time. And this time, the victim would be the town doctor, Dr. Alcott. The encounter took place on a temperate, somewhat rainy night in the early morning hours of September 30th. Dr. Alcott kept a room in the back of his office, where he often spent the night, and on this particular night, just like he had on so many occasions before, he did exactly that. However, this evening was far from typical. At about half past midnight, Dr. Alcott was unceremoniously ripped from his slumber by a violently bright light piercing through the window near his bed. Dr. Alcott was unsure of exactly what he was seeing but he had a feeling that it probably wasn't good, that perhaps it might be burglars. So he leapt out of bed, he grabbed his rifle, 
and he rushed outside to investigate the source of the light. The good doctor burst from the front door of his office into the cool, damp streets of Van Meter. He looked around, and soon locked his gaze on the source of the light, and what he saw baffled him completely. Standing just behind the strange spotlight was a creature, unlike anything that the doctor had ever seen. A tall, dark creature. He would later describe it as being half-human, half-animal, with bat-like wings framing its body. Strangest of all, though, was the creature's head. Blinded by the light, Dr. Alcott could make out very few of the details of the creature's face, but what he could see was a single horn protruding from the center of the creature's forehead, and at the top of the horn was the source of the light. Dr. Alcott immediately concluded that this creature, whatever it was, was a threat. He lifted his gun and pointed it at the preternatural creature standing motionless mere feet away from him, and he fired. The bang ricocheted up and down the street, echoing off of the nearby buildings, and as far as Dr. Alcott could tell, his aim was true. Yet the creature didn't move, and the source of the mysterious light remained, standing stoically in the middle of the street, staring at him. The doctor gasped, took aim, and fired again. And again, his aim was true, yet the creature was totally unfazed. He fired three more times, desperately seeking to slay the monster standing in front of him, but he was unable to make even the slightest impact. After five shots, Dr. Alcott finally realized the futility of his efforts and made a frantic retreat back into his office. He locked the door behind him and looked out the window, only to see that the light and the creature had vanished. The following morning, word was quick to spread of Dr. Alcott's harrowing evening encounter with the otherworldly beast, and it didn't take long for a connection to be made between the doctor's experience and that of Ulysses Griffiths from the previous night. Around town, fear and uncertainty began to rise. Was Van Meter under attack? What was this mysterious, spotlight-bearing creature, and would it strike again? While the answer to the first two questions remained murky, it did not take very long for the answer to the latter to reveal itself. The very next night, early on the morning of October 1st, the Van Meter visitor made yet another appearance. Clarence Dunn, like the two previous witnesses to the creature, was another well-regarded resident of Van Meter. After graduating high school, he spent several years working as a public school teacher while also pursuing a college degree, which he obtained in 1901, allowing him to acquire a job at the Van Meter Bank, where he would eventually become a manager. He was trusted throughout Van Meter as a man of integrity and shrewd intellect. So when on a crisp October night, he too had an encounter with a bizarre, illuminated flying beast people took it seriously. On this particular night, fearing that the rash of strange sightings was no more than a string of robberies, 
Clarence opted to spend the night guarding his bank from the wrongdoers, with the company of his trusty shotgun. The evening's first several hours slipped by rather uneventfully, leaving Clarence wondering whether the robbers would be bold enough to show their faces in Van Meter for a third night in a row. At 1am, the town clock struck, tearing him from his musings. He looked out the window, and as the ringing of the clock began to fade away, Clarence noticed another sound that had joined it. A strange, garbled, gasping sound, almost like panting. Then, as Clarence continued scanning outside the window, seemingly out of nowhere, the light appeared just outside, shining directly at him. Clarence was completely blinded by the bright light, which lingered on him for what felt like ages, until finally it broke its fixation and began darting frantically about the room as the stunned man watched from within. Still unable to discern the source of the light, Clarence reached for his shotgun. In his panic, he didn't bother to go outside to confront his assailant, and instead he simply took aim at the light and fired, shattering the bank window in the process. And then the light vanished. All signs of the creature disappeared, save for a handful of three-toed tracks that it reportedly left behind. The next morning, news of Clarence Dunn's early morning encounter again spread like wildfire, but aside from the continuously elevating levels of fear and tension spreading throughout Van Meter, it was a normal Wednesday, and the townspeople went about their business like they would on any other day. But that evening, the Van Meter visitor made yet another appearance. This time, it was seen by two men, the first of whom was O.V. White, the co-owner of a local store, Fisher and White Hardware and Furniture. White lived in a room above his store, in the center of Van Meter, and that night, again around 1am, he had an experience eerily similar to the three men before him. He heard a noise outside, and when looking out the window to investigate, he spotted the creature, standing atop a telephone pole, only 15 feet away. White grabbed his gun, took aim, and fired. His bullet connected with its target. However, instead of the creature falling from the pole to its death as White had expected, it instead turned its spotlight on him, and it released a rancid odor that filled the air and, as White later reported, prevented him from recalling any of the conclusion of his bizarre encounter. Nearby, White's neighbor, Sidney Gregg, was awoken by the commotion outside and rushed out his front door to investigate, where he was immediately assaulted by the stench coming from the monster and the sight of the strange bat-like creature scurrying down the telephone pole, using its beak. And yes, you did hear that right. It was using its beak to climb down a telephone pole. Also, it had a beak. When it reached the ground, it stood upright for a moment, scanning the streets of Van Meter with its spotlight, and then it flew away, leaving Sidney Gregg stunned in the street and O.V. White dazed and disoriented above his shop.
On the same piece of land as the now-abandoned Van Meter coal mine, there was also a tile and brick factory, still operational. A man by the name of J.L. Platt Jr. worked there as the operations manager, and early on the morning of Saturday, October 3rd, he had a bizarre experience that would prove to be a turning point in the saga of the Van Meter visitor. It was a dreary evening. The previous day, a thunderstorm had rolled through town, and the after-effects still remained. The grounds were muddy, and a full moon feebly attempted to poke through the residual clouds. Scattered rain showers continued to soak the town below, and J.L. Platt was on edge. By this point, tales of the mysterious, bulletproof creature harassing the people of Van Meter had spread all across town, and there seemed not to be a person remaining who was unaware of the unwelcome visitor. And it was reaching the time of night where the creature had a habit of showing itself. Platt went about his work as he normally would, but at around 1 a.m., his fervent, if not slightly preoccupied, work was interrupted by a string of bizarre sounds piercing the slow drizzle of rain around him. Unearthly noises began emanating from the dilapidated old mine sitting nearby at the bottom of a hill. The sounds were quiet at first, but quickly escalated in both frequency and volume until Platt's curiosity got the best of him. He went to the edge of the mine to get a better listen. As he drew closer to the mine, the sounds grew louder and louder, and he would later describe them as sounding like Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth for a battle. Platt arrived at the edge of the mine and peered down into the darkness below, just barely illuminated by the light cast from the full moon. As he sifted through the darkness, searching for the source of the disturbance, the noise got louder and louder, growing to a roar. And then, he finally saw it. A brilliant light piercing through the darkness. The light rapidly closed in on the mine entrance before launching itself into the sky above, closely followed by a second one. Platt watched in awe as not one, but two of the incomprehensible, bat-like creatures emerged from the mine shaft, one slightly larger than its counterpart. The pair launched out of the mine and darted across the sky, soon disappearing into the darkness, leaving an astonished J.L. Platt standing below them, drenched in the bizarre odor that now seemed to be a symptom of these unwelcome visitors. Now, Platt wasn't alone. The mine stood in plain view of the factory yard, where several other men were hard at work and had seen everything. With so many witnesses, word of the sighting was quick to spread all across town. Not only had there been another sighting of the Van Meter visitor, but now there were two of the strange creatures. And just maybe, their hideaway had been identified. Were they living in the mine? And would they be returning after their evening of debauchery came to a conclusion? The people of Van Meter were banking on the answer being yes. Despite the fact that it was the middle of the night, within the hour, a crowd had gathered to march upon the mine and confront their flying antagonists. Guns in hand, the people of Van Meter trudged through the rain and mud toward the mine, alerting their friends and family of the night's events along the way, until finally a sizable crew of angry, raincoat-clad men arrived at the entrance of the mine, and there they waited for the monsters to return. Mixed emotions spilled out from the townspeople as they waited for the creatures to return to their lair, Fear, confusion, anger, 
But more than anything else, they were determined. The party remained at the mine entrance for hours, without the slightest sign of their target. That is, until just after dawn. Around 6 a.m., as the first light of day began to color the horizon, they spotted it. The large, winged silhouette of the creature darting through the sky in their direction, followed closely by a second, smaller one. The gathering of monster hunters watched in fascination as the two faraway shapes approached, growing larger until they were in striking distance. The men aimed their weapons at the advancing creatures, and they fired. The air filled with bullets, and surely the entire town would have been awoken from its slumber by the ringing of dozens of simultaneous gunshots as the monsters were met with what would later be described as a reception that would have sunk the Spanish fleet. However, the creatures seemed completely undisturbed by their attackers. As they flew over the heads of the crowd gathered below, almost as if they were taunting their attackers, they released a horrible, unearthly shriek and drenched the mob yet again in the strange odor that the creatures seemed to emit. Then, the two creatures made their way to the edge of the mine, where they slowly and calmly made their way back down to the depths below. A stunned silence fell over the crowd gathered on the grounds of the tile and brick factory. As their adrenaline wore off, fear began to set in. Fear of these unknown, apparently bulletproof monsters living in the abandoned mine. Fear that they would never be rid of, that they would continue to torment the people of Van Meter, and that maybe the worst was still to come. In the morning that followed, tensions were still high after the early morning encounter, and a quiet apprehension blanketed Van Meter as its residents went about their day's work. But eventually, the fear and tension would fizzle out. It's unclear what actions the mob may have taken after the encounter at the mine, if perhaps they barricaded the creatures in following their return to their lair. Whatever the case, the Van Meter visitor or visitors, were never seen again, and in the wake of the string of bizarre sightings, Van Meter was left to slowly return to normalcy, while also pondering just what exactly had been the cause of the sightings, and where the mysterious creatures had come from. The early 1900s were a time that science was still in its infancy, and new things were being discovered every day. Anything seemed possible including a new species. In fact, just less than a year earlier, a new species of gorilla had been discovered in Central Africa. If so large an animal could elude discovery as long as the mountain gorilla did, is it not possible that there could be other undiscovered creatures hidden away in the darker spaces? This has become one of the leading explanations for the mysterious Van Meter visitors. However, the one glaring issue with this theory is the fact that, since the 1903 incidents in Van Meter, the large, spotlight-bearing, bat-human hybrid creatures have never been seen again. 
Or perhaps the answer is even more simple than that. The Van Meter visitor was only ever encountered in the evening hours, so it is also possible that maybe it was nothing more than a large bird, or some other harmless animal that under the cover of darkness was mistaken for something far more sinister. Another idea is that the creature was simply a person in disguise, a hoax, or a practical joker, or perhaps a clever costume utilized by a robber. While its physical description lends itself to the possibility that the Van Meter monster could have easily enough been a person on stilts wielding a spotlight and hidden by a costume of some sort, that is about where the feasibility of this theory ends, as there are multiple eyewitness accounts of the creature performing superhuman feats, jumping from rooftop to rooftop, surviving multiple gunshots, and of course, flying. And finally, as with so many other hard-to-explain stories such as this, there are also the more outlandish explanations. It has even been suggested that perhaps the Van Meter visitor had some sort of alien connection, or that possibly the light associated with the creature was actually a UFO. Adding to this theory is the creature's apparent immunity to bullets. If the Van Meter visitor wielded the technology to visit Earth from another planet, then it would make sense that it would also have the technology to defend itself from our primitive weapons. While following the final encounter with the creature by the mob at the entrance to the abandoned mine, the Van Meter visitor was never seen again, its legacy lives on. It has become an integral piece of the town's history, and even today, people in Van Meter and beyond continue to ponder the cause of the bizarre string of sightings on the week of September 29, 1903, as well as the fate of the beasts following their disappearance. Did they succumb to the forces of time, trapped in the mine? Did they escape and make their way somewhere else, away from human malevolence? Or are they hidden away below the surface, waiting for an opportunity to escape and strike again? Right, oh, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Simply Strange. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you all enjoyed. I really like this story. It's a fascinating and relatively unknown monster story. So it was fun learning more about it and putting this episode together. If anyone else would like to do a bit more digging on the Van Meter Visitor, I would definitely recommend checking out the book, The Van Meter Visitor, A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown. It's written by Chad Lewis, Noah Voss, and Kevin Lee Nelson. And it was the main source I used for this episode. It does a nice job of laying everything out. And it's kind of the go-to resource for this story. Pretty much everything else that you'll read about it was largely derived from their work. So check that out. As always, if you would like to follow the show, you can find it on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Simply Strange and I'll be there. Also, those links are in the description. Thank you so much to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. Creating this show takes a ton of time and resources, and your support on that end is really, really appreciated. So thank you, wonderful folks on Patreon, for that. I really, really do appreciate it, and it helps me keep the show going.
If anyone else would like to help support the show through Patreon, you can find more information about that at patreon.com slash simplystrange. Or you can also buy a shirt and or coffee mug at simplystrangepodcast.com slash merch. That helps too. All right. That concludes the me asking you to do things portion of the show, as well as the show in its entirety. Thanks again for listening. I hope you all have a fun and safe Halloween. Keep it spooky. I will be back next month with another strange and spooky tale for you. And if you need some entertainment before then, here is another show for you to check out. Twisted Britain. Hello, and let me tell you about Twisted Britain, a podcast on true crime in Britain with a sprinkling of the weird and the macabre. Your hosts are me, Bob Dale. And me, Nadine Royal. We're a couple of friends who met in the pub, and we developed a friendship based on our mutual love of booze, podcasts, and pub quizzes. We met in the Settlin' in Stirling, and that's where we record. Each week, we both tell a story of something twisted. One long one, and one short one. And we decide who goes first. Based on the flip of a coin. So if that sounds like something that would tickle your fancy, you can always find us wherever you normally find your podcasts. Just search for Twisted Britain. Thanks. Bye.